All right, if you'll take your Bibles tonight as we continue in James, James chapter 1, verse number 2. And I did decide to go ahead and, and reteach the scripture that we had. I think it was back in November during our Joy series. Um, I did do a rewrite on it. I always, I'm always concerned about, you know, about, oh, no. But anyway, so, so it's some, some of the material is the same, some of it's different. I did a rewrite. But the scripture is so, listen, the, the scripture is so important. I honestly believe that. In fact, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this one part that we're going to hit real quick. I've mentioned it several times since then. Um, Often, often, um, God gives me a truth. I learn a truth from the Word of God, or God gives me a a truth from His Word that sticks into my heart. And this is one of those. This is one of those. It's like, for instance, by the way, this morning, I hope you grabbed that in in my passing comment about Romans 13, 14, about, you know, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy or gratify the desires of the flesh. And that was such an important verse for me for about three weeks, and I let it slip from from my vision. Um, And so it's just a really important verse. So when God gives you a truth, be sure and hang on to it. Yeah, when God gives you a truth, when something, when I'm preaching or Dave's teaching or Brent, another teacher, you listen on the radio, however it comes, Sunday school class, perhaps you're reading the Word of God in your quiet time, okay? And something jumps out and gets in your heart. Guard that truth. It's a gift from the Father when a truth like that, you have the epiphany in the Word, and it comes alive. Okay, just, just kind of follow that away. That's a freebie for tonight. So in James, we'll go through James chapter 1, uh, verse 2 through verse number 4, I believe it is tonight, as we look at this topic again of joy and hard times. All right? So it starts out, and he says, Dear brothers and sisters, okay, I'm glad you did that, because this is the New Living Translation. Probably, to be honest with you, if you've got the King James or New King James, it probably says, Dear brothers. Um, but the, the uh, New Living Translation takes the liberty and puts in, Dear brothers and sisters. And here's what he says. When troubles, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, let me read that again. Let's don't run past this, knowing we, we talked about November. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Well, the first thing when I was studying this afternoon that popped into my brain was this phrase, when troubles. Now, I want to take just a moment and explain something. Um, When troubles, you know, often we see Jesus as, and, and he is, but we see Jesus as primarily a rescuer from trouble. Now, Jesus is a rescuer. He's, he's a redeemer. We needed, we were sinners, we were lost in sin, we were separated from God in our sin, and we needed a rescue. So first and foremost, yes, he's a rescuer, but he's the rescuer of rescuing men from their sin. He's the redeemer of men from their sin. But often, especially in Western culture and the world we live in today, Jesus is more a rescuer from trouble. And that's fine. That's good. Um, throughout my years, my 35 years or so, 36 years of pastoring, I cannot tell you how many times people come to my office and they're needing a rescue from a broken marriage, an affair. You name it. You name it. And they come in and say, oh, I need this fixed. I need this fixed. I need this fixed. I told Judy, by the way, I told Judy that, you know, I'm going to have one story that I use on each island to kind of introduce. I'm asked usually to... to give a short message when we get on the island. And I'm going to do the one about the, the guy being let down through the roof. Okay, and Jesus says to him, now he's crippled, okay, and four guys laying down to the roof. And one of the things that Jesus says, what does he say? First off, your sins are forgiven you, okay? And then, that you may know that I have the power to forgive sins, he goes on and says, take up your bed and walk. 
The greatest need of man is not restoration of broken legs, but the restoration of a broken relationship with God. The primary thing, the primary thing, the most important thing. So what I'm trying to get you to understand tonight is, yes, God is a rescuer. Yes, Jesus is a rescuer. Yes, God, Jesus can heal marriages. He can heal cancer. He, he can do anything because he's God. But the greatest thing is, he's a rescuer of men from the bondage and brokenness of sin. It's just a very important difference. You know, um, we live in a day when the vocabulary changes. I think uh, one of the guys wrote a book entitled, Quit Asking Jesus in Your Heart. Because that was kind of the, the phrase we would use, you know, I'll ask Jesus in my heart. And that's a fine phrase. I don't really have any problem with that phrase. But except for it leaves room for that, that cloudiness. Really, what did you do that day? Did you ask Jesus to fix your marriage? Did you ask Jesus to, to heal your cancer? Or did you understand what it meant to come in a relationship with Jesus Christ? To come in a relationship with Jesus Christ means to acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner, that you sinned against holy God, and that you are separated from him, okay? And then you've got to believe that Jesus Christ died on Roman cross paying for your sin because because the payment, uh, the payment for sin, the wages for sin, is death. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And by faith, if you believe that he did that, and you're willing to turn from your sin, and then make a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, that's when we come to relationship. So that's, when, that's where the idea comes, quit asking Jesus in your heart, because it's muddy. You know, I, I probably shocked you all one time when I said, you know, Christian really is not a very good term to describe who we are. We are disciples. We are Christ followers. The one time that Christians use in the Word of God, it's used in a negative term. And am I right that Christian means so much to everybody? You go to church, I'm a Christian. I'm an American. I, I, I'm a white guy. I'm a Christian. Okay? It's so blurry. But there's no blurring. There's no blurring the fact I am a Christ follower. There's no blurring I'm a believer. Now, I'm not always saying Christian. I'm just saying a more accurate and definitive term is I am a Christ follower. I am a believer. And the same thing here. Rather than I ask Jesus into my heart, I realized I was a sinner one day and I was separated from God. And I became a Christ follower that day. So understand, Jesus is a rescuer from trouble, yes. But the best, he's the rescuer from the trouble of sin. All right? So James says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come, and they're going to come. Troubles are going to come. So you say, no, 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 you don't understand. I asked Jesus, here it is, I asked Jesus in my heart to get out of trouble. Boy, you're going to be disappointed. Because Jesus said in John 16, 33, you will have suffering in the world. Be courageous, I've conquered the world. The good old King James says, you know, in the world, in the world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. If you ask Jesus in your heart, get out of trouble, man, you went from the frying pan to the fire. Because you gained a real enemy, and that's called Satan. Come on now, it's the truth. It's the truth. Now, Jesus was your rescuer and redeemer from sin. So you're going to, when these troubles come, you're going to have hardships. You're going to have temptations within. It's going to be happening in your life. It may be difficult moral choices. It might be persecution um, in this world. It may be tragedy. It might well be a sickness. But he says, when these things come, okay, when they come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. Now, I bet you know, a lot of y'all know me pretty good. And you know that I wrestle sometimes with stuff. And this is one of them. When I don't feel well, Roz, I have a hard time being, quote, joyful. 
In fact, can I be honest with you? So, you know, right before Christmas, about two and a half weeks before Christmas, I mean, you know, I, I, because of the heart attack, I kind of fell off the wagon with the walking thing, okay? By the time we were two, out, two weeks out from Christmas, the wagon came back around and ran over me, okay? So I was not walking at all. So here we were, January 1st, 2019, I said, what a great day to restart. I've got 21 days to Africa. Woo-hoo! I can conquer the world. So I promptly go out and walk three and a half miles faster than I should have and had my first sports injury. I've walked over 1,500 miles in the last two and a half years, and I had my first sports injury. So right now, I'm wearing a pad in my shoe, one of those Dr. Soul's miracle-working things that's not doing a very good miracle, okay? And chances are, I'm going to Africa with a hurt heel, all right? Well, I don't feel too joyful about that. Can I just be honest with you? And then this past week, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm going, gosh, i got a tooth that doesn't feel right. So I can see Dr. Mark, and he goes, you got a cracked tooth. Well, I wasn't very joyful about that either. All right? So tomorrow, Tuesday morning, pray for me about 3.15. He's going to get that drill thing out. And, so anyway, so anyway, I'm just telling you, you've got a pastor who's on enough to say, I wrestle with this. But the Word of God says, wrestling or not, the Word of God says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come, not if they come, when troubles come of any kind, of any kind, they come your way, consider it. Reckon it. Weigh it out. Just kind of like balancing your checkbook. Reckon it out. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. And here was the epiphany. Because I always considered joy an emotion. Okay? It was like one of the, it was one of the things. It was one of the emotion things, you know? And I, and I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I'm weighing this out in my brain. I'm going, okay. So I've got the flu, and I'm supposed to go... Woo-hoo! Shoot that thing! Man, I tell you, God, can you do it again? Let's just have double flu. What do you say? That didn't make any sense to me. And then when, when things like heart attacks and death of loved ones and, and, and hard marriages and those things come along, it made no sense for me to have this emotion, whatever it was. If you saw the movie, I think, Inside Out, where it talked about all the emojis, you know, all that going in there, what do you do with that? I knew that I could not reconcile that in my head. And I didn't have to because joy in the biblical sense is not an emotion. It's something else. First off, it's a fruit. It's a fruit. Now, you know Galatians 5.22 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, keep in mind, uh, every, every believer has the Holy Spirit when they're saved. Everybody agree with that? We all were baptized with the Holy Spirit the day we were saved. Okay? So... The fruit of the Spirit, then, is something that, well, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's a, it's a byproduct, if you will, of the Holy Spirit living within you. And Galatians 5.22 starts listing these nine fruit of the Spirit. Okay? These are not, now listen, these are not something you have to manufacture. These are something that you may have, may not have. It's not, it's not the gifts of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Not every person has every gift of the Spirit. But all believers have these nine fruit of the Spirit living in their lives. Agreed? Okay, now, here's what's cool. Verse 3. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So, so joy, first off, is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
The first thing. You don't have to, you don't have to conjure it up. You don't have to be, I think I can, I think I can. Think positive, think positive, think positive. The truth is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit and you do, then you've got love, joy, peace and the other uh, six in your life. Okay? So you've got that. You've got that. So you've got this joy and it is a fruit. And listen to John 15, 5. This is a very popular verse. Listen to what Jesus says. I'm the vine... And you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now it's argumentative, I suppose, that you could say that Jesus is talking about evangelism there. He might well be, but I'm also saying there's no doubt he's talking about the nine fruit of the Spirit. So he says, I'm the vine and you're the branch, Marcia. Okay, so that's that's what you are. Okay, and if I, Jesus, if you abide in me, if I'm if you're at home in me and I'm at home in you, we bear how much fruit? Much fruit. And all of a sudden, the possibility of James, when he says, when you come into these situations, count an opportunity for great joy, you start to begin to understand. Wait, 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 wait. You mean joy is not an emotion? Nope, it's a fruit. You, 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 mean, you mean joy is not something I have to manufacture? Nope. It's a fruit. You, you mean I can have joy in all situations? Yes, because if you abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in you, you're going to have much fruit. Oh, 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 and by the way, if you're not abiding in Him, which at home in Him, if He's not at home with you and you're not at home with Him, how much fruit are you going to bear? Little fruit, little fruit. I'm, we're going to go, we're going to give a little bit, Mary. Okay? You want to know why sometimes we struggle with, with things like love, joy, peace, self-control? It's because we're not abiding. Or we're abiding minimally. And when you abide a min- minimally, you have minimal fruit. This is making sense. See, this Jesus thing is really cooler than you think it is. It's not just coming in here and some guy holler at you for 30 minutes and then saying, well, I think I learned something today. Okay? It's so much deeper and richer than that. So Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. You can't have joy, you can't have love, you can't can't have peace. But with him, can you? With him, can you? Mm Mm-hmm. Sure can. So so we can count it then all joy. But here, here was the epiphany. Here was the epiphany that really just opened this up for me. Okay, it, it came from a definition from one of the commentaries that I use, and here's how it defined joy. And if you haven't written this down yet, you've heard it probably five times over the last two months. But if you haven't written it down yet, you really need to. You really need to, or at least remember what it says. Basically, joy. Here you go. Is a deep sense. Now, let me pause it. Remember the song. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Down in my heart, okay? So a deep sense. Joy is a deep sense. Joy is down in our hearts. It's a deep sense, okay? So a deep sense of well-being. Well-being. Based on not circumstances, not things are going well, not things are not going well. Based on faith in God and trust in His sovereignty. I need to write that down. If you've not written it down yet, you need to write it down. So joy is not this emotion, okay? It's faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. Now, that changes everything. Imagine with that definition in your brain, 
Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come, consider an opportunity for a time of well-being based on faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. Does that not make more sense? Doesn't it jump off the page at you all of a sudden? Oh, because I'm going to ask a question. Where is your faith, when is your faith exercised? When things are going wonderful, the sun's shining, pl- plenty of money, more, more money than month every single time. The kids are all healthy. The braces finally came off. He got the, the scholarship. Life is good. Your faith doesn't grow then. Your faith grows in the hard times. When troubles of any kind come, that's when your faith grows. Okay? And he says, count it an opportunity for great joy. So your faith can grow and you can learn to trust the sovereign will of God. And the sovereign will is God's will, God's deal and not your deal. God's will and not your will. God's deal and not your deal. Okay? Huge. Hugely, hugely important. Now, you know, these two of my favorite verses, Psalm thirty-seven, twenty-three: The steps of a good man are ordered orchestrated by the Lord, and he delights in my way. Okay, that's trusting the sovereign will of God. That my steps, okay, are ordered, orchestrated, ordered or orchestrated by God, okay, and it's a way that he delights in. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 is directed toward the nation of Israel, but the principle is truth for us. Um, for I know, God says, the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So, so joy then is this sense of well-being, okay, based on, founded on faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. Okay, that's a whole different deal. So every time trouble comes in your life, remember it's an opportunity to have faith in God and to trust what He's doing. Faith in God and trust what he's doing. I, I, I never figured out yet totally why I had the flu last year in Africa. I don't know why my heel's hurting and why my tooth is cracked. And I know that's minor, by the way, except for when you're milk like me and I whine about anything. You know? Okay? But the bottom line is, Dwayne, trust me. Trust me, but trust my sovereign will. He knows what he's doing. Um, anyone know how many mistakes God's made? None. Think you'll make any tomorrow? How about next week when we leave for Africa, Tim? You think I made a mistake then? No, he won't. He sure won't. He makes not one mistake. Not one. All right? Now, there's something I did teach that Sunday I remember distinctly. And, you know, like I said this morning, you know, when we talked about the Scripture this morning in Psalm 1-1, where it says, happy, blessed, mature, uh, purposeful is the man um, who does not walk or stand or sit in that, in that pathway of the wicked, okay? We got that, and it's like two ways, two ways. Well, there's two things I want you to remember tonight about this, too. You know, there are two worldly responses to trouble that we need to avoid. Now, now a couple reasons. Uh, one, it's biblical, but two, the world's watching us. And when we respond to trouble like the world does, they go, how's he different than me? How's he different than me? Okay, so, so a normal response to avoid when you have trouble, a normal response to avoid, a worldly response to avoid is one, drifting. Drifting. I remember teaching this on that Sunday morning. You know, I am a Florida boy and spent a lot of time at the beach. 
lot of time at the beach. I know about riptides. I know about the waves coming in, the waves going out, okay? And the world bases their, I'm going to use the word happiness because they have no clue of joy, their happiness um, based on circumstances. So as an example, you know, when we go to the beach, okay, then, then we are controlled largely because the water's so strong, we're controlled by the waves. So sometimes we're up and sometimes we're down. Sometimes we're going in, and sometimes we're going out. And no matter how hard we try to get our footing, the waves are always more powerful than us. And so, consequently, the waves control us. So, be careful that in the world that you live in, when troubles come, don't respond like the world, and the world responds always by their circumstances. Don't allow that to be a part of your life. I will remember, it was probably 1997, um, we were down at Vero Beach, and we had a, a, a cab, our house down there, not a cab, and a house down there, and we had drive, drove the beach, and so we went there the first day, you know, woohoo, we're all excited, you know, and we noticed the waves were just a little bit big. Um, what we did not notice was the double red flag. Anybody seen a double red flag before? Man, you probably have. Well, we're, we get out in the waves, and now keep in mind, at this time, Rebecca and Jennifer are what, about... 13, 14 years old. Sarah's like smaller than that. Of course, Sarah, we didn't let out in the waves too much. But we get out there, guys, and we are just getting bowled over, Lane. We're just, I mean, seriously, we are sitting there and, and, and it took us a while to figure it out. Isn't that like Christians are sometimes? It takes us a while to figure it out. So, so we're sitting there and I mean, we are just getting hit by these, slammed, slammed by these waves and just over, head over, blood on our shoulders and stuff. And Bill, we finally got out of the water. But it took us about 30 minutes to figure it out. And the problem was the double red flag. The double red flag. We were being totally controlled by the water. By the water. As a believer in Jesus Christ, don't let your life be controlled by circumstances. Don't let it be controlled by circumstances. Well, if not circumstances, what, Dwayne? Jesus. Let the sovereignty of God control who you are. And, of course, the second one, the response is, is that we like to pretend. Um, We like to play carnival. We like to play Mardi Gras. We put on a mask, and we come to church, or we go to work, or we do our thing, and, oh, yes, everything's wonderful. I'm so happy. Life is so good. It is well with my soul. And inside, you're dying. Don't be afraid to be honest. The world lies. It'll say that things are okay. and then, Now, whiners never say it's okay. I'm not talking about whiners. But, but the world will say, you know, it's all okay, it's all okay. And so we consequently feel like we've got to do that or else what will people think of us? The best thing we can do is learn to be honest with people. If you're hurting, you're hurting. If you're broken, you're broken. If you're sad, you're sad. Let them know so they can respond to you appropriately. So beware of those two worldly responses that are not joyful responses at all, all right? So then we go to James 1.3. James 1.3. And I, I, I think it's cool because James says, for you know, it's almost like a duh moment. Duh. You do know, don't you? You know, in fact, I've got Romans 8.28 coming up and, you know, Paul says, and we know, you know, it's like, you're supposed to know this stuff, you know? Well, James says, for you know that when, okay, it's going to happen, you're going to have troubles, it's going to happen, for when your faith is tested, so there is a test coming up in your future when your faith is tested. Now, tested faith is a good thing, Donnie. It's a good thing. You don't want weenie faith. 
Okay, so we got to go through trials to strengthen our faith, and then we also get that faith tested. Hey, 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 hey. When Jesus fed the four, 5,000, okay, all right, feeds the 5,000, and then what do they do? They get in a boat. And what happens? They face a storm. They learn lessons that this Jesus can feed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and some fish, okay? Then they get in a boat, and say, now you trusted Jesus and saw what he did with bread. What can he do with waves? That's pretty good. What can he do with waves? Okay, so, so we got to understand that our faith is tested and it's a good thing. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says this. Uh, now, understand, by the way, difficult times. Notice what he says. You, re- you rejoice in this. Wait, wait, there's that joy thing again. You could easily say, you're joyful in this, Peter says. Even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So he's Peter, not Paul, Peter saying, okay? Not James, Peter saying. He's saying, you know, you can have joy in these various trials so that, I like this, so that the proven character of your faith. Your faith is tested in trials and suffering. So the proving character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though it's perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, that's why James said, that's why James said, you know, kind of a great opportunity to experience this joy because it's going to strengthen and test Improve your faith. So in James 1, 3, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Now, does anybody remember what endurance was? What was endurance? Ready? Faith stretched out. The, 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 the definition, the translation of that word into English is faith stretched out. In other words, it's trusting God for the long haul. You know, have you noticed something? Bob, it's easy to trust God for short times. You know, you know, when the crisis isn't too long. But what about it's, what about when it's two months of chemo? What about it's a husband that just doesn't seem to get it? Or a wife who just doesn't get it? Or a child who doesn't seem to get it? Or a friend who doesn't seem to get it? And it goes on. And on and on. We've all heard stories of wives who pray for their husbands for 10, 20, 30 years. It's faith stretched out. For you know that when your faith is tested, your faith is stretched out and given a chance to grow. That happens in trials, and that's why James says, count it all joy. But also, 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 is trusting God for a purposeful outcome. Not only, not only is our faith stretched out, but our faith gives us the opportunity to see a purposeful outcome. You know, it's one thing to suffer. It's another thing to suffer without purpose. It's one thing to suffer. It's another thing to suffer without purpose. With God, all suffering is purposeful. That's a good place for an amen. It really is. God doesn't just run you through Suffering for no reason. He's a purposeful God. 828. I told you it was coming. And we know that all things, all things 
work together for good. You know, Judy made a pie. To, um, she made it yesterday and brought it today. Actually, she made two. And um, I thought it was like million-dollar pie. And she told me, no, it's not a million-dollar pie. Um, but I can tell you this. It had cream cheese in it. It had Eagle Brand in it. It had coconut in it. It had toast and almonds and pecans in it. It had caramel in it. Now, I, I, there's more things, but I can stop there. And some of y'all are going, mm, some of y'all had it. You know, Marsha Billman had it, and she goes, I'm on a sugar high. I ate that sucker and said, bring it on. I'm good for two pieces at least, you know. But it was really good. But you know what she had to do yesterday? If she'd brought in a block of cream cheese and a, a wedge of, or, or a cup full of almonds and, and coconut and a can full of Eagle Brand and set it on the table, no one would have. Ash, would anybody have eaten that? No! But because she sat down and mixed everything up, a miracle happened. It was wonderful. Well, when God says, we know that all things work together for the good of those, He's mixing it up. If you'll let Him mix up all these circumstances that you don't understand, He can bring something really good out of it. You know why? He promises that. He promises. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And then verse 29, we don't always read, but again, I've been sharing it with you a lot. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's what we don't, re- we don't remember. That's what God is doing. He's making us like Jesus. I can't say that enough to you as a teacher. He's making you like Jesus. Well, what is God doing? Why are these things happening to me? He's making you like Jesus. And, and that process in my life may look different than it does in the process in your life. But for every believer, every believer, every believer, his desire is for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that's what he is doing. So find verse 4. He says, James says, so let it grow. Now that morning I did the corny joke about the song, which I won't do tonight. Okay? But I like it way that says that in the New Living Translation. You know, let it grow. Welcome it. Embrace it. Let your faith grow. Let, embrace as your faith grows. For when your stretched out faith, when your endurance, when your stretched out faith is fully developed, when it's fully mixed, when, when Judy took all that stuff and mixed it all together as it's supposed to be and put it in there and smoothed it all out, when it's fully worked, okay, you will be perfect. Perfect, not like perfect, but here's what it translates from. Seasoned and experienced fit for God's purpose. Seasoned, experienced, and fit for God's purpose. That's what will happen. You'll be complete. You'll be fully trained. Fully trained. Needing nothing. Needing how much? Nothing. How about that? How about that? And we'll close with that verse that we just stumbled upon. And it seems like we use it all the time. It's kind of like, again, a good recipe. Once you discover it, you use it all the time. His, this is Second Peter 1.3. We used it Wednesday night. His divine power has given us everything. How much? Everything. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. So his power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who called us by his own glory and his own goodness. 
So we can have joy because joy is not an emotion. It's a fruit. It's a gift from God. It's a fruit through the Holy Spirit. And it is a well-being, a sense of well-being that is founded and based not on circumstances, not on my bank account, not on my health report. It's based on my faith in God and my trust in His sovereign will. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, we sure thank you for the privilege of sharing this truth tonight. Thank you, Lord. I'm, I'm so grateful for the Holy Spirit when he brings things out and makes it alive. I know it's happened several times in my life very recently. I know it happens in my brothers' and sisters' lives. So, Father, help us to be acutely aware of Satan and the world and how they try to make and force their standard on us about, about joy and about life. Because, God, sometimes our circumstances are not what we want, and they're not good. But we are learning that that does not control us. You are in control of us. We are going to choose to have faith in you, and we're going to choose to trust your sovereign will, even when it makes no sense. I am certain those guys in that boat did not understand the storm. Lord, thank you that you are in control that day. You're in control of our lives. I told several people tonight, it's hard to imagine, but in one week, we're going to go to bed and wake up and get on an airplane and fly 17 hours to Africa. We're going to get in a boat and go across this big old lake into a circumstance that even though we've been there, it's new and different every single time. We're going to be put outside of our comfort zone. Ain't no doubt about it. And yet, God, we can trust you and trust your sovereign will. Nothing's going to catch you by surprise. So thank you for that. Lord Jesus, as we worship with a song tonight, it's our decision time, but it's really a worship time. Father, just help it to be a time of surrender for us. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.